Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You're listening to American Citizens, a Manchester City podcast by American journalists. Sterling. Tight, but he keeps it in, and De Bruyne is there! And it is dead level now. Manchester City are still alive here. Balotelli, Aguero! And now here's your hosts, Josh Webb and Gray Papke. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a belated edition of American Citizens. I'm Gray, I'm with Josh, and we have had a week of technical difficulties from hell. So we're coming at you, just us two, a bit belatedly, um, to talk about the Dortmund game. Yeah, it should be exciting times. Probably a lot more exciting than, say, the technical errors which occurred as... Look, man, I, there is going to be no David Mooney episode, which breaks my heart, because that man gave us so much, both in terms of quality conversation. Yeah, and, and un, I don't even know what the word is, but he did not make us feel bad at all about what happened. He was totally unfazed was probably the word I was looking for by all the technical difficulties having worked in radio. And he worked with us to, to make this thing happen, not once, but twice. And technology still scuppered it. So my plan is to bring David back later in the season. I am investing over a hundred dollars into audio equipment that will ensure this does not happen to us again. So with all apologies to David Mooney and our listeners, I regret to inform people that that episode will be permanently lost forever. Yeah, it will. But like you said, we will have David back and um, we apologize for our, our technical nightmares, but hopefully with, well, this time it's just us, so it won't be a problem. But in the future, this will be a thing of the past. That's why we're I like late. The way you, I like That's the way it. you put that, sir. That was very uh, profound. Hopefully yeah. in the future, this will be a thing of the past. Well done. Thank you. I did not mean for that to be so poetic. But um, so we now that we've gotten that out of the way, now that you know why you're hearing from us on well, probably by the time you hear this, a Saturday, 
let's talk about the Dortmund friendly, which happened this week has been such a blur. Was it Wednesday morning or Thursday morning? It was Thursday morning. It was Thursday morning. It was Thursday. I, we've both had long weeks. So let's, let's, let's discuss this. If you haven't seen it, then you probably shouldn't be listening to us because we're about to spoil it for you. But Manchester City won their first, last, and only game in China. 1-1 on penalties because we have to make the charade of this being an actual tournament of sorts. So I'm just going to throw this out. Since the result is elementary, it doesn't really matter. Let's just go to what actually matters. You watched, When you watch the game, and this was the closest we've come to having a full squad. I know there's a couple guys still missing, but basically everyone who mattered played. Who came away, who did you come away impressed with? Let's start with that. Yeah, you you already know what I'm going to say. You, Is you, it Sir, you, Sir Tosin? Yeah, you already know what I'm going to say. Look, the more I see of this kid, the more I remain convinced that there's no reason for him to go anywhere. This kid is, look, I know that, that, that he's still young. I know that there's still work to be done. But this kid is ready. He's ready. The intelligence is there. The drive is there. What Pep Guardiola wants from his center back, from his center backs, is possessed by Tosin. This kid is seriously impressing me in this offseason. And I don't know if it's because I want to be impressed by him, but I look at the goal that Manchester City had. And it's all started by Tosin playing that long ball across the pitch, which is exactly what Guardiola wants. He wants the purpose of all of the passing that his team does is to bring the opponent all onto one side of the pitch, and then, bam, they send it all the way across the other side of the pitch and have those and have that spacing. For a young center back to understand that to a T tells me that I don't think this kid's going anywhere. I think this kid has all of the tools that Guardiola is looking for in a center back, and he showed an incredibly intelligent football mind yesterday by basically setting up that goal. He's, he's showing Guardiola that he can handle what it is that he expects out of a center back. And for that matter, I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't mention Jason Denayer. I thought he played outstandingly well. And, and I think that with Denayer and Tosin, I seriously think you could see the future of Manchester City's defense. I know they still want to bring in Stones. But I think the three of those guys could be the, the, the future of the defense. That's completely reasonable, I think. Um, yeah, I thought Denaire looked good, and I think that he needed to look good because we've had a lot of discussion on this podcast about whether he has a future at Manchester City. Um, and I don't know that they've actually decided what that future is right now. So for him to put in a good performance, I think, helps him immensely. Um, you said it all about Tosin. I'm not going to say that he should, you know, he should be in the first team or anything, but we talked, one of the things that we talked about when we had David Mooney on that you will never hear is 
we, we talked a bit about Mangala and how you cannot teach the physical attributes that Mangala has, but you can sort of help with the mental side of the game. Toadson at his age is already well advanced on the mental side of the, the footballing brain, as they call it. Um, he is already well in advance of what you might expect someone to be of at that age. And I think it has definitely opened some eyes. Um, I would also like to put in a word for Alex Garcia. That ball to, that, to Silva that led to the goal was spectacular. Um, and there, you know, Pep loves his midfielders and he loves midfielders that can pass. Yeah, that was a brilliant, that was a brilliant pass. Yeah, I, I was, I was really impressed with him. I mean, he missed his penalty, but who cares? Um, it's, I was, I was impressed with him. I was impressed with, um, Maffeo, Maffeo again, yeah, dude. Yeah, that yeah. guy is so good. And I felt like Angelino livened up the team when they brought him on. Like, I know the goal came like a minute after he came on or whatever it was, I think, but I thought that he helped liven things up when they brought him on. I want to ask you a question about Angelino. Go ahead. Do you feel like Angelino is a Marcelo-type fullback in that what he offers you going forward is outstanding? But on the defensive side of things, I'm not saying he's bad. I'm saying he's much more of an offensive fullback. Whereas I think Maffeo can do a little bit of everything. He's he's a much better defender. I think that's fair. Um and I think that I think that we can generously describe Angelino's defensive work as a work in progress. He's still young. I not it's definitely not too late for him to sort of get it together and figure out, you know, what is, you know, how to defend at this level. But at this point, yes, he is much more comfortable going forward than he is defending, and that's fine. You know, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not bothered by it. I, I, I think as long as one of the two fullbacks is sound defensively, and if the other one wants to maraud forward, as as you like to put it, then I'm okay with that. As long as City have someone who is able to provide cover defensively, and I think they have that. I, I think that Angelino would be best served being placed on the same side as Jesus Navas, who very clearly understands tactical, uh, uh, just understands tactics and, and knows when to drop back and provide cover for somebody who's vacated a space a little bit brashly. Yeah, and I think that another Another player, while we're on the topic of players who are impressing us, um, I thought Zinchenko played well. I think you can tell that he's not the finished product, but you can clearly tell that they have brought in quality there. And I, I think he'll still go out on loan, but I hope it's a higher level loan because he's definitely, you can see the talent. You can see him, he's kind of growing into it, but They've clearly bought a player there who has the potential to be up to the standard of what they're looking for at this club right now. 
Yeah, and Guardiola clearly expects more of him on certain things, as Zinchenko found out. Correct. And that's why I say I think he'll still go out on loan. I'm not going to say that he should be in and around the first team, but you can tell there's a lot to work with there, and I'm, I figure they'll, they'll get that. But, you know, you already, you've already seen it. I know everybody compared it to the Kimmich thing at Bayern Munich, but you've already seen him drilling that in, and that's good for them. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think the kid's getting his, his opportunities here in the preseason, and you can see, Pep Guardiola can see that he, he did make a solid investment. But I think with the attacking guys that they will have coming into the club, especially with uh, Gabriel Jesus, who will probably join up with the club as, as basically a mid-year quote-unquote transfer, even though he's already been purchased in the summer. Um, I think but between him and, and some of these other attacking players that City have purchased, the idea is that a couple of these guys are going to come good. Otherwise, they're going to make it pretty penny flipping them around for profit. Yeah. Now, on the other side of things, and I'm going to combine this with a point C on our sheet, too, because they're kind of the same question. Who did you come away feeling like eh, they didn't play well, they haven't played well, particularly any first-team players or any youth, whoever, but who did you see that did not stand out to you? Um, I feel like this is a low-hanging fruit, and you probably already know who I'm going to say. Uh, do you want to take a guess? Is it Wilfred Bonney? It is. It is. It is. Oh, it is. I, I, I don't know how you knew that. I don't either. It was just a wild guess. Yeah. Um, I, I I think if Pep Guardiola had an inkling of... And see, here's the crazy part about Wilfred Bonney. Half that game, he actually played rather brilliantly. His hold-up play for City was out standing, probably better than it's been in the past couple of years. I don't know if it's the spacing that Guardiola's system provides him, and, and he's not being closed down on by like three or four people the minute the long ball is played, but I was rather impressed with, with Bonnie's ability to retain possession and come up with an impressive pass. However, that's not what his job title is. His job title is striker. And when given the opportunity to put foot to ball and try and put it in the net, he failed miserably at that. And I'm just, I, I, if, if Guardiola had any notion of, oh, okay, I think I can work with this guy, I think that was dispelled yesterday. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add to that because... You can tell because he was we've trying. beaten Bonnie like a billion times, and at this point, it's probably just kicking a dead horse. Yeah, it's it's overkill. But you can see he's trying. He's giving it an effort. I don't question the effort. He just doesn't have it. It's not. He doesn't fit. He is a square yeah. peg in a round hole. And I don't know that there's anything they can do to change that. And I think that they will let him go if they get an offer for him. 
Yeah, um, and if they can use him as a make weight in the Stones deal, which is, you know, something that keeps popping up again and again and again. Look, if Everton feel like like Bonnie can improve them and, and look, man, that 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 seems like a reasonable I call it a trade, but that's probably American terminology, transfer. Yeah, it's, that seems like a reasonable transfer for both teams. Like I think Ronald Koeman can can do something with Bonnie. I just, as you said, Bonnie is a square peg in a round hole at Manchester City, and Guardiola or not, that ain't changing. Completely agree. Um, and I would also like to say, I would like to note that I think yesterday we saw why Man City have been linked with so many goalkeepers because Caballero's distribution was awful. Oh, God. Thank you for mentioning was, that. It was terrible. He did Dude, not now, look... Who was it that one guy, who was it that he just, like, kicked the ball straight to him? And I was, like, screaming at the TV, like, what are you doing? I remember it was very early. I know what you're talking about. It was very early in the game. I don't remember exactly who it was, but I know that Otamendi basically had to bail him out. And yeah. That, was, that wasn't even the only time it happened. That was just the no. most egregious example of it. And I you just wonder, I mean, Caballero obviously can't do it. Can Hart, I'm not sure that Joe Hart can do a lot better. And that is why they were being linked to Marc-Andre Terstegen basically the whole window until it was mooted. You can, I know that there's a lot of loyalty to Joe Hart, but you cannot have that in your goalkeeper if you're going to play in that style. And that is why they were being linked to so many goalkeepers. And it, it sort of manifested. It wasn't as big a problem in the first game, but I thought it completely manifested itself in that game yesterday. And I couldn't agree with you more. If, if there was yeah. any doubt that City needed to Look, at the bare minimum, bring somebody in who can push Joe Hart into possibly learning how to play this style. Yesterday was the biggest piece of evidence in favor of City do not presently have a goalkeeper capable of distribution on the level that Guardiola would prefer. Pretty much. Pretty much all there is to it. And I fear... Or, you know, I don't know what they'll do because it's, it doesn't look like that anything else is going to happen on that front this summer. So I don't know what they'll do, but somebody is going to have to – he's either going to have to compromise on the style, which I know he doesn't want to do, or somebody is going to have to get at least competent at it. And I don't know where that's going to come from. We haven't seen Joe Hart yet. I understand that. But, you know. There is a lot of work to be done on that front. And um, that was the big takeaway. There were a couple defensive mistakes. I know Tosin made a pretty bad giveaway that he got away with. He's young. It's fine. I'm not, like, trying to single him out or anything. They look like they were still trying to figure out how to play out from the back properly. Um, and that will come, so I'm not worried about it. But you could tell that was a work in progress. But the goalkeeping distribution has to get better. There is and no I would also, I would also add that that Kolarov and and Toure have both also proven that I think through two games, no, like 
Yaya didn't even make it his full lot of time. Pep's like, yes, this isn't working. Pulled him off. Yep. And the team did look tired at the end of the game. But, again, I would expect that. I Can we talk that, about that Pulisic goal? Because that should have never happened. No, it shouldn't have. And I, well, it shouldn't have happened on basically any front. It was the whole thing from start to finish was just, Someone probably should have at some point done something about that. Yeah, yeah, cannot agree enough. Like, and here's the thing with Toure. In any game that he's played in the Guardiola era, all two of them, I don't know that I've seen anything out of him to suggest the idea that this is a slow, lumbering man whose legs are gone has been disproven. I've yet to even see Guardiola dispatch Yaya Toure in a role that sort of mitigates the damage he can do by not being able to cover his man. Um, so uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know, man. There, there are several people on this team who need to go. Uh, they just don't fit, and that's been made evident through two games. The problem is they're stupid wages, and they won't give it up. And you say, you wonder, if they bring enough players, they're just like, well, all right, you can stay here and collect your paycheck, but we only have a limited amount of spots on the Champions League squad. So um, if you just want to sit here and collect your paycheck, don't expect to play. But and I know that's not really realistic, in a, in a, but it's, at some point, some of these guys, and I know there's so many guys that have a year left on their contract, but <laughs> some of these guys, they are, they just don't fit. And I just, they need I don't... To, they need to catch board reality is what they need to do. <clears throat> like right now, some of these guys are presently living in a world that is not congruous with reality. They still think they have much to offer, and all the evidence to the contrary, proves they do not, at least with this club, in this system. I'm not saying that Toure is done and should retire. I do think, however, that he's shooting himself in the foot by patently saying, I don't want to go play in Serie A. I think, I mean, you look at Luca Tony, man, talk about a guy that doesn't have a lot of speed left in his legs. Toure's a brilliant tactician. He has an outstanding football mind. He can create space simply because of what he knows how to do and the fact that he's got the physical ability to shut people off like it's nobody's business. So... I don't understand why he would look at a club like Inter. Now, I guess you say you look at Juventus and say, what's even the point? That much I can understand. Um, and I, for the record, I am not convinced yet that Pogba is gone. I, I think that there is still a portion of Juve that is going to try and make this Pjanic, Pogba, Kadira, Dibola, Higuaita, Look, man, in order to compete with the Barca's and the Real Madrid's of the world, you have to add the Higuain while keeping Pogba. You just have to. 
and and I think that Juventus are going to try. I'm not saying that it'll work, but I think that they have half a mind to try and retain Pogba and sell him on the idea of becoming a legend at Juventus by leading them to Champions League glory. And you and I have both talked about Pjanic to no end. I mean, look, that midfield of Kadira, Pogba, and Pjanic, I, I, look, there's a lot of young and, and unproven talent ready to, waiting to come good. But I'll tell you what, man. I would favor that midfield over a hell of a lot of others in Europe. Yeah, I still think he's a goner, personally. I think he's gone. But as far as I think, I think they'll find a way to get rid of Colorado. There's just no role for him. I, there's nothing they can do with him at all. And I don't know what it will be, but I can't imagine that they'll just sit there and let him take up a spot. Um, I, I, I think I'm starting to wonder if Navas is going to make it because I know it was reported earlier in the summer that he was in his plans, but the links with Sevilla won't go away. And with Sané coming in, it stands to reason that someone is probably going to have to go, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of interest in anyone else. Um, I know that Nazri is supposedly on the outs over his fitness and his weight, um, but I would, at this point, I'm not sure. I would be surprised um, if if Navas doesn't make it to the start of the season. I don't know how I feel about that. Um, part of me agrees with you. The other part of me thinks that Navas is somebody that City need to hold on to. Um, and while I understand that the links of Sevilla will not go away, I think if you're Jesus Navas, you have a lot more to offer by learning one year under Guardiola and then applying your trade elsewhere. Uh, isn't Navas in his 30s? I think he just turned 30 and he's entering the last year of his contract, yeah. Right, right. So this is a guy who isn't necessarily getting any younger and you don't exactly get quicker as you get older. So at a certain point, novice is going to become a moderately fast winger with no real ability to cross. Um, I don't know how attractive that is as a transfer proposition, but I can tell you that I feel like Guardiola offers that man more opportunities to win, grow, and become a better player than going at playing at Sevilla, who just lost Unai Emery to PSG. So, yeah, I don't, I don't, totally. yeah. That's really fair. I don't even, who did they even replace him with? I never did catch that. Um, I honestly don't know. <laughs> Well, who cares? Um, I, 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 I just, just to, to the collar off point, I, I think that it's been pretty well proven at this point that center back, right back, center defensive midfielder, the guy needs to go. Just go. Correct. So let, let's, let's talk about the tactics because they started with three at the back yesterday. We've been speculating on it for months 
is he going to do three at the back? Is there going to be wing backs? What's when, you know, and he did it and it was basically, I don't know if it was effective. It looked a bit awkward at first, but do we think that's, I mean, obviously they're practicing it. So he has some designs on thinking, gee, maybe we can use this. Um, what did you think of that? Because I was, I was intrigued. I obviously Colorado's not a center back still, but I thought it was intriguing. I'm not sure that it will be a long-term solution. If he gets the personnel in for it, it might be. But at this at this moment in time, I don't think he has the people to make it work as well as he would like to. That could change in the weeks to come, though. Yeah, I I I think that the three is the back is something I that I would prefer to see dispatched when City ha- are in possession and moving forward. I don't necessarily, and, and that seems to be Guardiola's M.O., to be fair. You know, he, he usually places five at the back when, when the team is on uh, defense, and it only becomes a three at the back situation when, when they're going forward. And sometimes it even becomes two at the back because his ball-playing center back is the guy who usually initiates the attack. And in theory you would see a lot of what Kolarov does just with actual tactics in mind rather than just I'm going to plod forward and try and figure it out. So uh, I I do think that the three at the back is is an intriguing philosophy. I just don't know that uh, it's it's best served in anything other than than a tactic that they that city should employ when they're going forward. I think it's a very situational thing. Um, if they do go that route, that's I basically agree with you. I think that it's basically something he would. I don't know that he's going to start many games with it. I think it will be something that that sort of because with Bariola, you're never really. It's going to be very fluid tactically, so it seems like it would be something that he can switch into during games. Maybe, you know, because he's spoken so highly of Fernandinho, rightfully so, he'd start with a regular back four or something um, with three midfielders, and then you can drop Fernandinho a bit deeper into a more defensive position or something like that. I think it might just be something that he sort of fluidly... Which I'm not okay with. I don't Well, tell me why then. I don't. I don't like Fernandinho being dropped into a defensive role. Do you I think I that think, his effectiveness. Yes, I do very much so. Fernandinho is a guy who offers quite a bit going forward, and and he's proven that with rather timely goals last season. And I understand that you want to put players. You you have to use players. If, if you want to employ your system, sometimes players are going to have to, as they say, take one for the team and play a little bit out of position uh, until Guardiola can can solve these things more effectively by bringing guys in over a couple of transfer windows. But I think out of anyone on the squad, taking Fernandinho out of the attack is problematic for me. I, I think he offers too much going forward to say, sorry, bud, we need you to hang back here and, and, and 
you know, sort of captain the line while everybody else goes forward. Do you think Fernando could do it on a more limited basis from time to time? Do I think who? Uh, Fernando. I think Fernando, for me, would make more sense doing it because he's he's very much a, a sort of telescoping center defensive midfielder where I kind of don't see Fernandinho as a center defensive mid. I sort of see him as that James Milner catch-all type who can do all things and even Pellegrini dispatched him, I thought, to great effectiveness on the right-hand side as almost a winger. Um, this truly is a guy that I think, as Guardiola has said, can play all 10 positions on the field. Uh, and I wouldn't be shocked to see what Fernandinho could do with a pair of gloves on his hand, too. Uh, I'm in no way advocating that City make Fernandinho a goalkeeper. Uh, but such as this guy's ability and mind that, as you said in, in, in the two lost podcasts, the transfer fee for Fernandinho is starting to look like a steal. I think he would be, con- I consider him a bargain at this point, especially considering I know he was older when they signed him, but he hasn't lost this stuff. He doesn't look at No, he's he almost Bakari Kenya-like. Yeah. So I think that when it was in the 30 million range, that was worth it every penny and then some. So, you know, I think you're right. Fernandinho has too much to offer to relegate him to a central defensive position. And I think Pep knows that because he had so much praise um, for him in the uh, pre-match press conference before the Dortmund game. I think he's sort so. of becoming his Tiago, man. I truthfully do. I really think that Pep has latched on to Fernandinho and sees him as the type of guy who is a Pep player, if, if you pardon the stupid term. This is a guy who will go out there and give an A-plus effort at every moment, you know? He, you're, you're, you're not going to get a shift out of Fernandinho that really includes him drifting in and out of games. Now, that's not to say he's not going to have bad games. Every player has bad games. No player is perfect. But Fernandinho's bad games are just that. They're bad games. They're not as a result of poor preparation. They're not as a result of him going out and partying. They're not as a result of him you know, sort of drifting in and out of consciousness. You can tell his mind is elsewhere. They're just bad games, you know? I think this guy is is truthfully going to be one of Pep Guardiola's prized possessions. And I am okay with that because I've, for the past year or so, truthfully thought that Fernandinho is City's MVP. Oh, yeah. I thought he was a player of the season last year. Yep. Without a doubt. And I would have felt that way had De Bruyne not been injured. I I still think that what Fernandinho offered last season was the difference between Man City finishing in a position to be in the Champions League and being a middle team table. If that guy, because even De Bruyne drifts in and out of games, with, with with sort of uh, 
mental, I don't know, blocks sometimes, you know? They're, they're, one of the big knocks on De Bruyne is that when the team played away from home, the dude really struggled. He looked like he wasn't there. You never really got that out of, out of Fernandinho. I, I think that guy gave you an A-plus effort every single time he stepped onto the pitch. And I don't know, you know, much about what Guardiola wants, doesn't want, or or has in in store, what, what type of plans he has in store for his team. But I can tell you this. Based on everything I have read about the man, players who play like Fernandinho very quickly become, as the term in soccer goes, an important player. I hate that term. He's an important <laughs> player. Yes, I think so. And I think that he's one of the few players who's in the last year of their contract that they should be trying to give a new contract to. I don't think there's many, but I think he is a no-brainer. So, um, other than Fernandinho, I mean, I don't know what else he would do as far as a three-in-the-back situation goes. Once you get Stones in, which looks like it's going to happen, um, you know, you got... You do have the, the... Probably have the ball-playing defenders, but I'm not sure you have good enough ball-playing defenders. So... I think, like we said, it's going to be one of those sort of fluid things that, you know, he's switching in and out of games. Um, do you I, – I skipped this question, so I'm going to go back to it. Um, this focused on the youth players. Based on who has played, how much they've played, I would note that Tosin Adarabayoyo is the only one who has played all 180 minutes of both friendly so far. Um, so based on who has played the most, who has played well, talking strictly this season, which academy players do we think might get some, not, not like an extensive role or anything like that, but who do we think can get some minutes in meaningful games once the season starts? Um, <clears throat> well, I think you brought up Garcia earlier. I think both of those guys probably plan to factor pretty heavily into Guardiola's plans. Um, probably more Alex than Manu, but I don't know. Um, I would like to think that both fullbacks probably will factor in pretty heavily to his plans. Um, we, we talked about that with David on the two lost episodes that Maffeo and Angelino feel like those are two guys, and you actually raised the point, um, so I'll go ahead and let you finish the point. I, I feel like I'd be stepping on your toes by raising the point, but I can remind you in case you forgot what it is I'm talking about, um, that that the lack of, of activity in the transfer market in terms of fullbacks, right? Yeah, we haven't really. I mean, the Bruno Perez links are tenuous. pretty much gone now. Actually, yeah, they were tenuous to start with, and now they're gone. And you're not hearing anything about any other fullbacks. So that says to me that they are comfortable with at least one of them being in and around the first team squad. Because I, like I said, I can't imagine Kolarov has much of a future. And even if Zabaleta does, it's not 
going to be beyond this season. So I think that the both of the fullbacks, Maffeo and Angelino, stand the best chance for that reason. I think that's telling. And because they have played pretty well in both friendlies, and I think that they are the two players who stand to gain the most from from this preseason and stand to gain some actual minutes. I think Adariba... <laughs> Totsin. I'm just going to call him Totsin. That is fine. Uh, someday we'll get it. Yeah, I think Totsin, you could see the look on Guardiola's face yesterday when, when that guy started some doing some stuff. Uh, I, I think Totsin is quickly working his way into Guardiola's plans. And, I, and, and it's sort of one of those situations where, it, it, again, it's similar to if you've not read Guardiola's book about... Oh, excuse me, Soda. If you've not read Guardiola's book about his first season at Bayern, it's so telling for what Guardiola looks for, what's important to him, how he likes to bring these players along. I think Tosin is sort of becoming a revelation. You know, a guy, okay, I, I think we may have something here. Let's try it out. Holy crap, this guy was really good in that first game. Now let's put him in there against Dortmund. Wow, he played even better. I just, I feel like Tosin gives City a very, very valid reason not to, if they get the Stones deal done, Take another fifty million and buy Benucci. Like the hassle of going through Juventus to me doesn't seem worth it if you can get in John Stones and let Guardiola work his magic with Tosin because I think that kid is gonna be the real deal moving forward. The the, the Benucci links have also gone onto the back burner. And I read in the Manchester Evening News, they had a story on it, and they said that they wouldn't go back to the table with Juventus unless company suffered some sort of hang-up in his recovery, which I think that's kind of a stupid reason. I'm not sure I'd buy it, but, you know, whatever. That's what was reported. Um, but assuming that doesn't happen, and I don't think it will, especially now that I know, I know that you still think that there's a chance that Pogba stays at Juve and you've made that clear, but I think if Pogba goes, there's no way Benucci goes. Um, so well, I don't think Benucci is going either way. Man. I don't think I, Benucci I, is going either way, but I think that if Pogba goes, then the chance goes from like 2% to 0%. But I can, I can, I can, I can get on board with that. You, you never know but, with Juve. There's always this, this idea with big clubs that players cannot be sold, and then one day they wake up and realize, dude, $50 million offer on a guy who's 29. What are we thinking? That's true. That's true. That's true. But I don't think it's likely either way. So we'll just put it that way. But supposing then you bring in Stones, which, like I said, all signs are pointing toward that happening. All the stocks from the, uh, the, the, the English press indicates it's going to get done. So that leaves you with, and let's assume that I know that we have mixed feelings about this, but let's assume, as has been reported widely, that they can 
move Mangala somewhere else when they bring in stones. So that gives you, um, you have company, you're going to have Otamendi, you're going to have... We both agree, though, real quick, though, that the guy who should be moved is not Mangala, it's Otamendi, right? Like, we're, we're right. both in, in, in unison on that one. And I think that if he had not been brought in 12 months ago, then that would be the one who was being moved. But Fair enough. I will, yeah, I, I think that's pretty much what it comes down to. But I agree. We had a big talk about that on the second last podcast that you can, Otamendi is too old that you can't really teach him new tricks. You cannot cut the rashness and the sliding and all that out of his, and the aggressiveness out of his game. But Mangala is still young enough that you, he has the physical attributes and you can try to make something work with that. But that's, I think we both agree on that, but I don't think that is what will ultimately happen. So I think that they will have company, they will have stones, they will have Otamendi, and then um, you're, t- who am I forgetting other than Nair? Am I forgetting anyone? Other? I feel like I'm forgetting someone. Not mm-hmm. Cameron Humphreys, maybe. Yeah, I don't think he's close. I, I think at, once you get to that point. So you're looking at company, you're looking at Stones, you're looking at Otamendi, and you're looking at Denaire. I think in that scenario, they keep Denaire. I think that it is becoming more likely that at least Denaire is going to have a role after all, after we spent like the last two podcasts saying, oh, I wonder if he has a future. But things yeah. seem to have shifted a bit. Things seem to have shifted a bit, and they seem to be a little more content with the prospect of bringing in Stones and then saying, all right, let's just work with this. Well, I think that what you have with Denayer and Tostin is is a lot of talent with some young kids, man. Um, and if you bring in Stones, now all of a sudden you're talking about a nucleus that's your center back pairing that can grow old together. I mean, I think Stones would be the oldest one in that group. And, and he's like, what, 22 or 21, I think? I think, uh, um, let me punch this into, no, not John Stamos, John Stone. Nobody he's cares. 122. 22, 22 right. as of May the 28th. So at that point, you have a nucleus of center backs that in, it would include Tosin, Denayer, and Stones with the oldest one being 22 years of age. Uh, this is how you get, and I'm not saying that each of these guys are going to be world-class like the names that I'm mentioning, but in, as, as a plan of attack by a club to set themselves up with the idea of it paying off down the line, this is how you get Barzagli, Benucci, and Chiellini. You snap up these world-class potential players when they're young, and then you let them grow old together by playing alongside one another. I think as much, and, and this is to take zero away from their individual talent, but I think part of what makes Juventus' BBC so great is that they've been playing alongside each other for so damn long. They don't have to think. And, and when you don't have to think, that shaves off seconds. And, and those things are, 
those those seconds are critical in in the high level and in high importance matches like you know uh, uh, Champions League finals, FA Cup finals, so on and so forth. Each one of those kids, Benair, Stones, and Tosin, have the individual ability to become, or at one point in time, were labeled as having the ability to become a potential world-class defender. I like the idea of City using those three in games that, quote, mean nothing. They all mean something, but just that that fan application of who gives a crap about this game. I would love to see those three put into action together and give them time to grow up, mature, and learn to play alongside one another. Yeah, and I think that City have been... Uh, there's been some um, dissension. Like, well, why, why do we have to keep buying these finished products? Why can't we get them before their value inflates two, three, four times what they were, you know? You know, you, you watch the business of a team like, I'm just going to throw out Dortmund because they already look like they have another player in Dembele. They signed Obama Yang originally for very cheap and compared to what he's worth now in particular. And you look at clubs like that and you get a little jealous. You're thinking, why can't we do that? Why, why can't we buy these players when they cost 10, 15 million before you have to pay 60 million euros for them? Why can't we do that? And I think that there's... Look at Bartra. How worse... If City are so hung up for defenders and young guys who potentially have world class, where the hell were City on the mark Bartra move? I don't know. I don't don't think Bartra's ever going to be world class, but I think that if they're so worried about, you know, their back four, they could have done a lot worse. That's for sure. Um... But again, I don't. I don't know. Maybe it's the whole they didn't. I, well, you know. I, I think Barcher got kind of a raw deal. Like he was expected to displace Mascherano, Matthew. Like, I mean, I don't know, dude. I, I realize the opinions are mixed and varied on Barcher, but I have a feeling that Dortmund is going to make that piece of transfer business look outstanding. And I think that's yeah. your point. That's yeah. That's that's roughly my point. Um, and there are teams throughout Europe that do that sort of thing and then sell for a huge profit. And I'm not suggesting that City should become a selling club for profit. I'm just saying they could save themselves a lot of money and a lot of pain by getting these guys in, and that is what they're doing. I don't think we can overstate how much of a coup Gabriel Jesus is. They took or Marino. Of, yeah. I mean, they took one of Europe's most highly sought-after prospects out from under the noses of Barcelona and Real Madrid. And, and they were being, outbid by two Yeah, it's being reported. Players. I was just about to say that. It's being reported today for less money than they were willing to pay. That is incredible. That is a coup, and I think that that should not be overstated. I'm 110% with you on that. When I read that tweet, and, and it was like the, you know, the addition of Pep Guardiola uh, basically made this deal happen. Like, that to me is outstanding, man. That's a big club. You talk about big club mentalities and people who want to go and play for the club, even though other clubs 
are offering big money. Having Pep Guardiola finally give City – this deal never gets done with Manuel Pellegrini as manager. There is Absolutely. no way Gabriel Jesus says a 15-minute call with Manuel Pellegrini was the difference maker. It, I will bet my lifetime salary on that. A 15-minute call with Manuel Pellegrini is more of a lullaby. Right, right. I mean, it, I, very honestly, you, you would be a very important player. You, you'd probably be better off having a 15-minute call with Claudio Ranieri. There, at least you'd hear some cool stories. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I mean, you look at that Gabriel Jesus bit of transfer business, and, and I think that you've hit the nail on the head, Greg. This right here isn't just a coup. It's a statement of intent by City moving forward with Pep Guardiola. And as David mentioned on the Two Lost podcast, City did it by paying less. They set a valuation of the player, and they did not budge on that. Much like they're setting their valuations with Stones and Sane, City are refusing to be, and this is David Mooney's brilliant thoughts, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing, City are refusing to be known as a club that even though they do have, for all intents and purposes, unlimited resources, they are refusing to be a club who will just pay you whatever you're asking for for the player. If you're coming to the table to do business with City, they're going to demand a fair and equitable deal and you are going to treat them with the same respect that you treat a Barca, that you treat a Real Madrid. You may get a bit more money, but you're not going to bend them over the table. Yep, and, and I think we need to reach that point. I the think only, that was something I said. The only I real said, quick point that I want to add on to that, just, just real quick, because I've seen a lot of people mention this, like, oh, things were so much better when Gary Cook was. He would just go out there and just – He'd land the players. Yeah, but he also paid a lot of money for dudes who ended up not quite delivering on the promise you thought you were going to get. So, hmm. Also didn't just land the player. Ask ask Kaka if they landed the player and didn't kind of make us look foolish in the process. I, I yeah. think this new approach by Manchester City of setting a valuation and then walking away from deals if clubs are really intent on bending them over. I, I, I think that this approach by City, at first it was frustrating me because you're looking at this and saying, City's own words, they wanted to hit the ground running and they're not. I think that's the frustrating part for fans is when you have a guy like Calvin saying, we want to finish our transfer business early to give Pep the time to hit the ground running, and then the club go out and do the exact opposite of that. I understand the source of frustration for fans. I get it. It makes total sense. But hearing David break down that, that, that the, the idea that City are refusing to be a club that gets taken to the, the the woodshed every single time they do business. I've warmed up to that and 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 really kind of prefer it now. Like, look, City may miss out, 
on some guys like Pogba. But you know what, man? When you hear United players, United legends like Paul Scholes coming out and saying, dude, this is stupid. This is stupid. You you start to appreciate and gain an understanding for why City are walking away from some of these players. I'm going to close this point before we move on quickly because I have to get going soon, but I'm going to close this point by saying the same thing that I said when we were talking at the end of the last podcast that we lost. And I said, Manchester City do not need to be the money club anymore. They are established top four. They will give you a chance to win the Premier League. And they made it to the semifinals of the Champions League last year. However dire it was when they got there, they made it. And that's only going to get better. They are a big, they are established now. They do not need to be going and begging players to come to them. Players should want to come here. They need to have that mentality. And I think that mentality is starting to come into effect. And we're seeing it with deals like the one for Gabriel Jesus. Because that does not get done, as you said, under the previous regime or the previous regime to that or any of it. It's now. It happens now. I think they have finally reached the point where they are being treated as the big club that they are. So that's that's basically my point on that. And um, I would also add to just to, as a fine, just to put a cherry on top of what you said, that as these players start to come good and and City start to win with a lot of of maybe not necessarily huge name players at the time, but will have become big names. It sort of just says that, oh, okay, to, to some of these bigger name players, like, look, you wanted, like, okay, Pogba, you wanted to make things impossible. You have your own worth and, and have set a value of your own worth. I get that. But that valuation you set made it impossible for us to do business with you, and that's happened along the way with several other players. Down the line, these, City is going to be the club that some of these veterans who, you know, haven't quite been able to get their ring yet, City is going to be the kind of club that they want to join. And the tables are going to turn, and they're going to be like, hey, you know, we tried to get you a couple of years ago right before you hit your prime, but uh, now I don't know. I don't know if we need you. We we got a 23-year-old kid down there who can do exactly what you can do but for half the price, buddy. So I, I think it'll be interesting to watch and see how this thing plays out uh, moving forward. Yeah. Real quick, anything that any – did you have any worries – any new worries about the squad that you didn't have before these two friendlies? And are there any worries that you had before those two friendlies that have been lessened from watching them? In terms of worries that have been lessened, <clears throat> I am not so stressed out about some of these players or positions that we all felt City really, really, really needed to go out and get players in. I think we're starting to see, and, and, and if we're being honest, we should have 
been able to see this moving forward. I mean, this isn't the entire purpose of why City set their club up the way that they did. Pep Guardiola stepped into a situation where Manchester City's youth are basically the second best club in England, right behind Chelsea. And and they're currently competing with Chelsea pretty damn neck and neck for that title. Um, Pep Guardiola has his choice of of really top-notch youngsters, and he didn't have that at Bayern. And I think that the panic that a lot of people had over the transfer market and the lack of business, seeing some of these products, seeing how Guardiola uses them and the confidence that he has in them and the confidence, most importantly, that they have in themselves as a result of playing under Guardiola has really lessened my worries about the lack of of quantity in the transfer market. Um, And as far as things that have maybe given me bigger worries, uh, this one's real quick. Um, There are a lot of players, frankly, who should be gone already, and they're not. And I'm, I'm... I really am starting to believe that the stupid contracts City signed into have now hamstrung what should be the final piece of the puzzle of letting Guardiola truly make this team his. Like, a minor damn mistake by City a couple years ago is really preventing this era from, from kicking off seamlessly, and, and that's my biggest worry. Yeah, that's fair. I think that City can be accused of having been a bit too loyal in the past and giving out some contract extensions that were not deserved. And I think that at this point, we are not going to see the actual complete Pep Guardiola's image squad until next season, just by virtue of everyone that has to go and everyone. Next summer is going to be very interesting because they have so much coming off the books and they'll have a lot more freedom to figure out what they want to do. And that's when I think that we're going to start to see the uh, the exact side type of side that he truly wants. So this is going to be a bit of a transitional year. I know they don't want that, and I do, that doesn't mean that they won't be successful, mind you. I'm not saying that they can't win this year, but ultimately there is still going to be some people on the squad this year that I think if you got Pep Guardiola to be completely truthful, he would rather not have, and that's just the way it is. Um I don't know who those players will be. I don't know who they'll succeed in moving out and won't succeed in moving out, but I do think that there will be some names in the squad that he would have rather seen go. So I I just hope that Guardiola doesn't get caught up in the politics of it and feels like he has to play them like Pellegrini did. <clears throat> Look, with guys like Kolarov and Toure, leave them on the bench straight out. Straight out, if it's an important game, they can be an impact sub coming off the bench. There are better players on the club at this time, and the whole Rooney England thing, I think it's going to be very interesting in Manchester this year because for for – for all the the talk about the fans, about how each club is is poison and does things the exact opposite, 
there are a lot of similarities in how the clubs have done business over the past couple of years. And both of these managers are now stuck in a position where they've got big money and very sentimentally valued names within the club who are no longer really fit for first-team play. And how they handle the politics of those situations, I think, will define, at least in some part, how the season goes for both of these managers. However Mourinho manages the Rooney situation will have an impact on the club, and how Guardiola handles the Toure, Kolarov, et cetera, situations, I think will have an impact on Manchester City's locker room. So I, I do think that that's going to be interesting moving forward. I have faith in him to play who he thinks should play. I don't think... I think he'll also have the full backing of the board to do whatever he wants, which is something that, you know, he didn't always have at Bayern Munich. They, they backed him, but the transfer... He didn't were always really... have it at Barca either. No, he did not. And I think that this is the first time he will have the full unconditional backing of the hierarchy. Say, All right, you know, I play him? All right, don't play him. I don't think anyone will intervene there. Um... I just want to make one last point about... I was more worried about guys like Saluk trying to undermine things via comments in the press. Like, City yeah. have volatile, more, more, more so than United, who probably have players that will be volatile, like Ibrahimovic, if he's not getting his way. City have guys like A.D. Ward and Dimitri Saluk waiting in the wings to pop off if things aren't going their way. And I think that that times can be worse than a loudmouth player who you can stick on the end of a bench with a ball gag in his mouth. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But, you know, Dimitri has been speaking for years and no one ever cares. He's gone anyway after the year, so what's he going to do about it? Um, one last thing. I just wanted to do a really quick rant about the preseason tours because after the state of the pitch in Beijing for the canceled game and the state of the pitch against Dortmund, which wasn't very good, it was playable, but it's getting torn up all over the place. Can we, I understand the need to grow the game overseas. There's a huge market in Asia that needs that it would be enormously advantageous to tap into. Plus, they have investment from China. This is a fact of life. I get it. But can we do this a little better? Can we make this more about preparing the team for the season than this giant commercial whirlwind thing where they have to play on terrible pitches because, you know, whatever. The U.S. tours never go this badly. I am. I would just... It, I Guardiola was so frustrated after that United game. You could tell he was so frustrated. He would come all the way here, like, you know, and he's worried about getting his team ready for the season. And this happens, and this pitch is not playable. He was so frustrated. And I share I his frustration. I think there is more concern from when you get United States executives, say for for the ICC in the room with some of these clubs. They're as concerned with raking in the revenue as 
as the Premier League clubs themselves or, or the participants. And they know the best way to ensure that you get top dollar is to place these events, place these events in venues that guarantee the highest probability of success. And that's why you see things like at the Rose Bowl, at, at Levi's Stadium, events and, or excuse me, venues where you know the quality of care and the weather, probably most importantly, will be good enough that they can pull off this event. What I would like to see, and, and, and I think this runs against, I'm, I'd probably get so much blowback on this, but here's what I would like to see. If you are truly intent on traveling the game, and bringing it out to clubs or bringing it out to countries like China, so on and so forth, I would like to see a lot of these games maybe moved indoors. And if the point is to help the club get ready, then by having it indoors, you guarantee a certain condition level of the pitch. So the game can go off, the club can oversee the fact that uh, they need to get ready for the season. And in terms of commercial value, the country can guarantee that the game is, goes on and they don't wind up with a situation like they did at the bird's nest where I can't probably imagine how many people thought they were going to get to see the first ever, I mean, the first ever Manchester Derby not played in Manchester. Can you imagine, especially with the growth of the Chinese uh, of the Premier League in China, can you imagine being a ticket holder to that game and thinking that you're going to get to see that? Now, if you'd moved yeah. that game indoors or held it at a stadium indoors, that game still happens, and you rake in millions, millions. Now. We both agreed that we would have preferred that game not happen for all the – we don't need the drama and, and the narratives, et cetera. But now you find the both of – well, not quite me so much, though I am coming around on the argument. Now you find people saying, well, city your bone because they lost out on that game. Soccer is never supposed to be played indoors. I get that. But I think if you want to commercialize it to this level, you have to take into the account that not every country is going to be in a season that is accommodating for an outdoor game. So maybe just hold some of these and don'ts. You can send all of your hate tweets to at Fight on Twist. Remember, I mean... I know that this was mentioned during one of our lost shows, but, you know, when they went to, I don't remember exactly where, it was in the Far East a couple of years ago. It was Pellegrini's first season, I believe. Um, when they had to play Sunderland on this just awful, rainy, torn-up pitch, and Matthias Stasic got hurt, and then he, he wasn't ready for the start of the season, and his city career never really got going again, and they, he was sold off before, you know, the the, the end of the next season. So I I just I don't mind these trips happening. I understand the necessity of them from a business standpoint, but you have to play the games and you have to make it safe for the players. This is at the end of the day, 
they are here to prepare, not, you know, I understand the business aspect, but they are not here to make you money. They are here to prepare for a season and play a game, and that needs to happen. And I don't know what the best solution is. I know you've presented one, and I will once again let them direct the hate tweets to you, but I just... I know I'm I'm kind of complaining here without offering I'm I'm complaining without offering a real solution, but go ahead. Let me ask you, how do you feel about the dome thing, though? Because to me, if you look at just the manifest function of hosting these preseason games, is commercial revenue and getting players ready for a season, right? That's it. There, there, we we both agree that the vast majority of the game is irrelevant beyond that, right? Okay. So then if we've settled on the fact that the vast majority of the game is irrelevant for so many different reasons, why then does it matter if it's not played on a pitch that, that half these pitches are almost domes with the exception of the fact that they leave the playing surface exposed? So why would it matter if in the interest of growing the game in countries where the weather might not be suited to maintaining a pitch in the best of conditions, why would it really matter if you played it in a dome? What about the game fundamentally changes? My last and only thought on this subject, as long as the pitch is safe, is playable, and is good enough for the standard, I don't care. They can play wherever they want. Just, that's kind of where I'm at. That's, yeah. And that's all I got on the subject, and we should probably wrap this up. But I just wanted to – I know I was kind of ranting without identifying a solution, but it just drives me nuts. Um, so, Ooh, that about wraps wanna, us up. I do want to ask you one short question. I know we got to get going, but Go ahead. I, think, I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention it. There is talk now of Pep Guardiola trying to set up a fourth game behind closed doors. Um, what's the latest on that that you've heard, and where do you come down on that? As far as I know, it was against St. Johnstone, who are Scottish, and it was going to be at the CFA, and they should. I mean, I just, I, it won't help. I don't know how much it's going to help them playing against a team at that level, but they just, you cannot replicate um, an actual game. So I'm fine with it. Um, they might as well go through with it. And that's basically my thought on the subject. Perfect. That's 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 okay. all. I know you were advocating yeah. finding a fourth game and, and Yeah. It, it, they it, seem it, like they were moving toward finding one. So 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 it, that's if, it, if the preseason is that important then even if it's against Saint John's or whatever, then If you think they need another game, then go for it. That's basically how I feel about it. Um, All right. Thank you for your patience this week, first of all, for everyone who's listening. And we're very sorry that you couldn't hear anything that we turned out earlier. Um, But we will be back on schedule, hopefully, next week with Mike Devlin. Who has written is writing a couple has written one book and is writing another about Manchester City. So we're going to talk to him about that. Um, we should forewarn um, you guys now that the episode is most likely going to be not suitable for work. Uh, Devlin gave us 
some some proper forewarning that he doesn't necessarily have much of a filter. And in all my years of, of being a professional journalist, I realized that if you reach out to somebody in the hopes of talking to them about what they've written, then you need to be prepared to talk to them about what they've written. And if what they've written is littered with foul language, then you could probably assume the conversation will be. So we'll, we'll do our best to, uh, to give you guys as much warning, but I would suggest listening to next week's podcast maybe on the way to and from work rather than at your desk if you don't have it. Yeah, pretty much. But we will have that next week. Um, until then, we are on iTunes. We are on Blog Talk Radio. Um, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at America Citizens, C-I-T-Y-Z-E-N-S, just America. And we will be back next week with a technologically working podcast. So once again, thank you so much for your patience. And we hope you enjoyed it, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.